gold ski jacket. Um, I don't think I need to preface it with too much explanation. You guys will, you get the gist of it. He came with his family by boat, like we did. Not looking for handouts, but looking for hope. And now he sleeps out the front of a church in the city under a sign that reads, Closed. People walk past him thinking addiction and helplessness. Strangers avoid their selfish stares. You know those selfish stares. Stairs that don't lead no one nowhere. And if there's a stairway to heaven, you won't find it there. Those stairs. Because if eyes meet for a second, then lives seem intertwined like in you. I might find me, might find he, might find we. And it's hard to see ourselves in that deepest hell, that place where forgotten people dwell. But there he is, a nurse where he lived. And now he's here looked at like he's nefarious. Nursing degree wasn't recognized, now the degrees drop. A winter to survive, cold hearts let him freeze because, well, there's no reason. It's just how we live. The lucky country, for some, is our best kept secret. He's sleeping in someone's old ski jacket that they donated to charity because it had a hole in the back of it. And they were going skiing again, and so they bought a new one that keeps with the trends. But he wears this like a warrior wears war armor. Hood hides his face in case he sees someone that recognizes him. You see, his family's here too. Wife left with the kids when he couldn't adhere to a clear view of paradise. He had a job for a while that was paying cash, but see, he didn't make enough to stay on track. Got evicted, ended up living off the food trucks that only ever visit World Square three times a week. Thinking of the homeless men he used to treat in the clinic back home. Aching backbone. Lady Luck is like Medusa, and now he sleeps on streets as hard as stone. With an old, holy ski jacket that knows the perils of downhill. Sees homeless people like him and wonders when they'll be round till. The ones whose train of thought stays on the tracks in their arms, yet they come from families who made sure they kept up with their injections. He sees them so self-destructive and attracted to harm until one day when he doesn't see them ever again and it goes on like this. He watches life pass, thinking watching paint dry on walls is a fine art because it takes way too much patience. Watching the home you built except color. Broken from his ponder by two young kids screaming at each other on a busy city night. One pulls a blade from his pocket and sticks a knife into the other. Looks like they're hugging except one falls and the other starts running then a crowd circles around the victim like sharks hunting filming it on their phone thinking about the views it'll muster wondering if this will be the first dead person they ever see but not he with an unrecognized degree and an old holy ski jacket rich folk used to ski breaks through the crowd like Moses parting the sea leans down tells the boy it'll be okay and prays for him in a language the boy doesn't speak takes off his holy ski jacket and wraps it around the bleed applies pressure screams call an ambulance in broken English to help put things back together stops blue blood going red till blue and red lights get there crowd disperses he emerges from the crowd like his clothes should be blue and red with an S there but they're not and he's not Superman 
but kryptonite can still wreak havoc. For him, kryptonite are the perpetual winter nights, wondering where he's going to get a new, old, holy ski jacket. We're in a series about following a more Christ-like God. I was in the US and uh, preaching at a large Pentecostal church and they asked me to run teaching on uh, contemplative prayer, which is that Christian tradition of learning to just spend time in God's presence. And I invited uh, a couple of hundred people who came during the week um, to that night and I invited them to picture the most compassionate person they've ever met and to imagine that God is at least that good and might even be as good as Jesus. And I deliberately frame it like that so we can actually spend time with how these teachings might be heard differently if God is at least as good as the person who's been most good to you. So I don't know who's been most good to you in your life, but my guess and my experience is Jesus is even better than them. And what if God is like Jesus? And there is nothing in God that is not like Jesus. And what would it be to hear these teachings in such a way that we could follow a more Christ-like God. I'm about to read the Gospel passage from today and we'll spend time in these few verses. But I want to name for us right at the start the two temptations that during this series we're trying to avoid. We want to stay in the place where grace is not what happens in the gaps of our lives, but grace is a space we live our lives from. I am convinced that these teachings are actually that God wants to live God's love through us as if Jesus was living in your situation, your circumstances, your context, that the Holy Spirit empowers us, not for just spiritual one-night stands, not for just those nice experiences, as great as those experiences are. I'm not having a go about your significant carpet time. Carpet time is brilliant. Uh, I'm not taking away from um, your experience of speaking in tongues. In fact, I want to encourage it. But all those things, whether it be healings or prophecies or miracles or any of that, all of that, those signs should be a sign of the coming kingdom and should bring in us a desire for God's world to be made right, that God longs in us that the kingdom that is coming to be seen through us. So what we're going to do is, what is it to stay in the place that God longs to live that love through us and that these teachings are encouraging that? Because one option, particularly with this passage, is what we've described as the can't do option. And some of us have a church experiences that this passage, it's very difficult to hear it other than you can't do this, but God has grace for you. We want to emphasize grace, but not because you can't do, but because God longs to do through you. Now, the other option on the other side is the must-do camp, where you must do these things to be a real Christian, to be saved, or or to be radical, or or whatever else. You must do these things. And the problem with both the can't-do and the must-do is that the focus is always you. The gospel isn't about you. It's about Jesus. Morning, brothers. How are you? The gospel has to leave us in a space where it stays about Jesus. And this is either a focus on my perfection or on the other side, it's a focus on my depravity. And so much of teaching on the Beatitudes is either you suck, God created you to suck, but just like dependent relationships in your world, God wants a dependent relationship with you. And that fosters the kind of unhealth where discipleship is left behind for dependency. 
God longs to love through you. It is not God will love you, but you suck. Or on the other side, it's God will love you if you do these things. The invitation to the table isn't because we have done it right. It's because God longs to make the world right. And Jesus, through his grace, makes a way where broken, problematic people like us can come and participate in the world that God dreams of in his power moving through us. So it's not God loves you if, nor is it on the other side, God loves you but. But God loves you so your brokenness can start to speak of the healing that God longs to flood the world with that we see on the, through Jesus on the cross when seen through the resurrection. So my invitation this morning is to hear this in such a way that it's not a list of reasons why you suck, nor is it things that you must do to receive God's love, but there is a new world that is broken in, what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. And if the kingdom isn't elsewhere, but is actually coming here, if heaven is not a place, but is in fact a presence, if the gospel hope is for the resurrection of our bodies to take part in a healed world, then these teachings are about where God checks in and where we're invited to find life in those kind of places. So I invite you all to stand, if you're able, as we read this passage and open it up. We're in Matthew chapter 5, and we're starting at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Lord, we ask that we would not have a set of principles leaving this place, but an encounter with your person. Jesus, may we leave behind our can't-dos and must-dos. May our focus be on you in such ways that we would rejoice, we would be glad, we would be filled with such a hope that your dream for all things is starting to be realised in us, in the places that we once thought were cursed, but because you've shown up in those places, we realise we are blessed. So, Lord, we welcome you to show up in those places in us that we have deemed cursed, Christ, come into those places that we might feel your presence, get a sense of the excitement of your new world breaking in and follow you, our Christ-like God. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a seat. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Those in the must-do camp will say, and there are fundamentalist, narrow ways of doing this, or there are sophisticated social justice ways of doing this, you must be poor. 
And for those of us who moved into the poorest neighbourhoods in our city and sought in a very radical way to come alongside those who were hurting, realised how problematic some of that was. Particularly those of us who grew up in those places and said, oh, here comes the kids from the private education who've moved into those neighbourhoods. And guess what? Our property prices are starting to go up because of the influx of these young hipsters. And suddenly we're brought into the complexities of this isn't about our righteousness, but is in fact about God's righteousness and a new thing that we're invited into. When we started the Peace Tree community back in the day, uh, my dad, who many of you know, um, who himself uh, uh, was part of a religious order in the Catholic tradition, where a vow of poverty was part of what they committed themselves to, I came to my dad and said, Dad, we're thinking of taking a, a vow of voluntary poverty. And my dad's response to me was, Jared, if it's voluntary, it's not poverty. And these are some of the complexities of these realities. But it came from a place of wanting to take Jesus seriously. Now, on the other side, people will go, no, 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 blessed are the poor in spirit. It's actually about like a spiritual poverty. It's like saying, blessed are you when you know that you suck. Blessed are you when you know that you're at the end of your rope, is how Eugene Peterson, who I have huge respect for, paraphrases this particular verse. And there is truth in that as well. There's truth in the places that we have deemed that the addicts, that those who seek safety and have got nowhere to go, those who like are desperate and broken, that there is a blessing in that place, that it's not about, and what this side will rightly name, is that it's not about doing a bunch of stuff so you can be better, but it's actually acknowledging that there is nothing to do and God's grace comes to you. But the danger is that we start to hear grace as merely relax back in where you are instead of pick up your cross and follow Jesus. So the question becomes, okay, if we're going to stay in the place that this isn't about a set of high ideals for us to do, and nor is it like just the excuse to, there, there is nothing that can be transformed just except that God is present even in the bad places. But if instead it's that God longs to do through you, not must do or can't do, but God longs to do through you, and there is a new world coming, what would it mean for a new world to come through you by grace? And it's there in the text, but we often miss it. One of the things that it says is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. I've heard so much preaching on this text as if blessed are the poor of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit versus blessed are the poor of spirit. Now, for some of us, English is our third language. For some of us, English is the only language we speak, and I speak it barely. We're still lost on that point. But to break it down a little bit, it's the difference between blessed are poor of spirit versus blessed are the poor in spirit. In spirit means alongside and with. Of spirit means you have nothing to give. What must do does get right is that there is a response to the good news that sends us into action. What it gets wrong is that what we must do is it's somehow we're saving the world. It's about us. Instead, it's about relaxing into the places that we think are cursed. It's going to the places in ourself, in our neighbourhoods, in our city, in our world, which others have deemed cursed. And God says, I'm showing up in these kind of places. If the good news isn't about us, either our perfection or our depravity, if it is instead about Jesus, well, can somebody tell me something about a God who, though was rich, became poor for our sake? So as Paul would put it in 
2 Corinthians 8, that we might start to practice the kind of equality that looks like the kingdom. Then we can hear that when God does, does through us, this beatitude is not about blessed are those who are poor of spirit, but in spirit, as in what is it for you to join the poor in spirit, in solidarity, knowing that these people are now your people because of your baptism, knowing that what it is to be submerged in the waters of redemption and be a new creation in Christ is that now those that others have deemed cursed, they're your people. So now you watch the news in such ways and you see reports of what refugees are going through and it's not an issue, they're individuals which Christ loves. Suddenly these people are your people because your baptism means something. Not instead of a list of must-dos, not because of a set of can't-dos, but the kingdom is coming and God longs to do through you by grace what you could not do by yourself. So broken, problematic people like us... All it takes is the kind of confession, I'm part of the problem, and God's new world is coming. And so what is me to realise that the places which others have deemed cursed in me, in my city, in our world, that they're the very places that Christ comes to and says, this place is actually a blessing if God shows up in it. If we have a God who shows up, who gives up heaven to bring heaven to earth, It means those places that we think are hellish start to be flooded with God's presence and guess what they start to be? So this isn't a set of must-dos, but this is instead like if Jesus had Twitter or if Jesus had Facebook, he might use the metaphor of I'm checking in to these places. The kingdom, God's dream for creation, is waking up in the places that others thought were cursed and guess what? Blessed are those who share in their spirit a solidarity with the places that everybody else thinks are cursed. Everybody else thinks that nothing good comes from. One of the things I love about Sanctuary is that in this neighbourhood, it's known what it's, by what it does Monday to Saturday, not what happens on Sunday. The smallest numbers in this building during the week are on a Sunday. Now, I'm not saying it always has to be like that. But how beautiful it is that this is a place where people who others have said you are cursed, there is nothing good in you, that there is nothing about you that ever... And their danger is that sometimes our churches want to attract people to a place and in their sense of lack of dignity, in their brokenness, we want to confirm that and say, you suck, but God loves you anyway. When the truth is... Sin is so much more serious than sucking. And if, if we leave ourselves, seeing ourselves not as a Christ-like God sees us, but seeing us as we see ourselves, the danger is we will create the kind of people who not only don't know grace as empowerment, but simply reduce it to pardon. Is grace pardon? Of course it is. But forgiveness is a power to live a different kind of life not to get stuck in those patterns. Forgiveness isn't what we go to because we didn't do the rules right. Oh, better show up on a Sunday, confess, get a little bit of communion, try and do it again. Oh, no, I suck again. And confess, do it. Instead, if God is going to do through us, if this is actually about the good news, that God's kingdom comes through a cross, then we can live resurrection. So this is not blessed are you who are poor of spirit. 
This is blessed are the poor. And that's how Luke will put it. Let me not confuse it. It's blessed are the poor. So go and find yourself amongst them because that's where God's checking in. That's where the kingdom's coming. Go and be amongst it because Jesus shows up in the places. Christ is found in the places that are cursed in you, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our world. Go to those places. Find Christ there because blessed are those who are poor in solidarity. And guess what? In the presence tents, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is found in the places now that Christ is found amongst the hurting. Right now. That's a promise. I'm not sure where God is in my life. Deep breath. Is that because you're living out of a can't do? And so it's totally disempowering. Is it because you're in this must do where it's like, didn't do the rules, cycle of shame, better come back, a little bit of forgiveness, back to the cycle of shame. When what God wants to break is Christ has taken your shame on the cross and given you the kind of dignity of what it is to be children of God and God's love longs to flow through you. And now we can hear why poor people heard the gospel as good news. If God is checking in into the places which I thought were cursed, I've been labelled cursed. And look at how Jesus responds to the rich. It isn't as the zealots do with a violent campaign against them. It isn't merely with shaming. But the response to the rich young ruler isn't, you suck and you just need to know you suck. Oh, you think you're really good, but give away, oh, you can't give away your stuff. Yeah, you can't accept you suck. That's not what's going on. Or on the other side, you've got to do all the stuff. Oh, you can't give away all you have. Well, you haven't done the rules. But instead, if the kingdom is coming, you need to be saved from your wealth through the poor. And the poor need to be saved from their poverty through the rich. And guess what? To be in Christ is to share in such a way where we realise that salvation happens through each other, each one another. That's what it is to be community together. This isn't a list of virtues and ideals for individuals to be better people who try harder or to know they merely suck. God has shown up. The world is being transformed and strangely it is happening through a power that's seen on the cross that raised Jesus from the grave. Are we starting to preach? Part of the good news today is that I'm not going to spend as much time we spent on the first blessing as we are with the others, but I want to frame it for you so you can start to see how this is good news and what it is to follow a God who is like Jesus and how that's better news than a God that has dependency issues or a God that demands all these things that are so hard and instead a God who shows up in the places in you that we think are cursed and Christ is present there. So we go from blessed are you who are poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is yours to blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. They're related. Once you show up in the places that Jesus is found, your heart starts to break for the things that God's heart breaks for. When your heart starts to break for the things that God's heart breaks for, it's this strange reality that 
unlike Pharaoh, whose heart is hard and can't hear the deliverance that God longs for, when you, like Moses, give up the kind of privilege which shuts out the kingdom from your life to start to participate in a new world, you know it's the genuine journey of what it is to move with God's love. When your heart starts to break for the things that God's heart breaks for, start with your own life. What are the things in your own life? What are the idols in my life? that I go to for comfort instead of sitting with the brokenness of how needy, how dependent, how problematic. What are the things, and none of them are that interesting. All of us who like confess with one another, it's like there's nothing that inventive about sin. It's always the same kind of stuff. It's holiness which is creative because that's the nature of love. But sin is pretty boring. So your Idols probably look like the rest of us. It's probably got to do with fame or prestige or power or wealth or pleasure. All the things that could be good gifts to bless others, but we go to them seeking life. And when we start to mourn over, I'm addicted to idols, instead of sitting in the nakedness of what I need is a God who is Christ-likeness, then we can start to mourn for the things that break God's heart. Injustice oppression, addiction, the things that lock heaven out of our lives. Heaven longs to flood the places that are cursed and we're so stuck in our shame around the things that we think are cursed, we can't let Jesus in. But the book of Revelation says he stands at the door and knocks in those places. Do you know what God's response to us in sin is? Christ-likeness. God looks like Jesus. I don't know. I better do more of the rules before I turn to God. I don't know. I better make sure that I've said how much I suck. That's still about us. Blessed are those who mourn over their own brokenness, who can name those things and confess those things and say, let God in. And guess what? The promise there is you'll be comforted with one another. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. Where does it go next? Blessed are those who... Open book test, it's right in front of you. Meekness we confuse with the word weakness. So many of us think meekness is about being a doormat, being walked all over. And so over here, it's like, I should know I suck and I should walk through the world like letting people treat me like I suck. You're a child of God. People should never treat you like that and we should never treat each other like that. And the response to that is not, that's okay, I need to be meek. It's, no, no, no. I need to repent because I've let people treat me less than a child of God. And you need to repent because you have treated people less than a child of God. And I need to repent because I've treated people like they're less than God. And you need to repent because you've allowed yourself to be true. And if we have this dependency kind of model with God, we will continue to let people treat us like we're less than children of God. Or over here, we'll think meekness is a value which I've got to muster in myself. So I will actually start to glorify what the kingdom ends. I will glorify suffering. Or if I allow them to continue to treat me like crap, that is somehow bringing God glory. No, it's not. The kingdom comes to end what looks like hell on earth to bring heaven on earth. That's how the gospel works. So you can't 
glorify the very things which... So, Jared, what does it mean? What's always a good indicator? And what I've been doing throughout these teachings is Jesus interprets the teaching. The teacher is the teaching, and the teaching is a little window into the teacher. Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is a window into the life of Jesus. Jesus lives these teachings. Meekness in the book of Numbers, in Numbers 12, is talked about as Moses is someone who is meek. Moses is somebody who stands up against Pharaoh and the whole Egyptian empire, calls out the injustice and frees slaves. That's got nothing to do with like standing in a place where you think you're nothing. It's standing in the place where you think God is everything. And God will do through us in our brokenness, even though I just stutter, even though I want Aaron to do the stuff for me, even though that like I've got all these issues of, you know, I'm not really part of the system and yet I've got a place in the system and I've got to fake it in the system. And Moses' own sense of like, I've got this privilege and power, shouldn't I use this? And he gives all of that up because he has an encounter with God that's more powerful than the illusions of the idols which promise him healing and power. We need the same. This Sunday, we need the same. Moses stands up to Pharaoh, not with a list of rules, but with the announcement of God longs for deliverance. Meekness, the term both in the Hebrew and the Greek, has got everything to do with power. We've got a couple of professional athletes in the room who have represented at a national level one of whom has won, even though our nation hasn't granted them permanent citizenship, has won a a national sports championship and has been chosen to represent Australia. These brothers aren't weak, but they are meek. Because any professional athlete knows that the power that you have has, has to be controlled, has to be tamed. Meekness, biblically, is about power that is harnessed The word is used of horses which are tamed to be powerful instruments in the direction of what the person riding them wants to do. Meekness is power harnessed, tamed in the direction. Blessed are those who are poor in solidarity, whose hearts break for the things that God's heart breaks, who know the anger and the power but that power doesn't destroy others, but witnesses to God's deliverance. That's what's going on here. Why do the meek inherit the earth? Because if you can harness the rage that you will feel when your heart starts to open to the injustice which is going on, and if that does not become a toxic power which destroys, and instead that rage actually becomes something that harnessed into a healing energy, you will inherit the earth. In 1989 alone, there were 14 nonviolent revolutions worldwide that included more than 1.9 billion people worldwide. All but two of them were successful because nonviolence is about harnessing power without destroying others, and you literally inherit the earth when you experiment with that power. Blessed are the meek. Or as Hans Weber, the um, Swiss theologian and New Testament scholar would put it, blessed are the nonviolence, for theirs is the world. That's what we're talking about here. Can we hear that this isn't about a can't do? This isn't about a must do. This is God longs to do through 
us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. The word righteousness and justice are intimately connected. In fact, if we were speaking Espanol instead of English, we would just say justice. The word righteousness isn't helpful here because we think about righteousness as an individual thing rather than a communal thing. Jesus isn't speaking to an individual. He's speaking to a people gathered from all over. And this is about blessed are those who hunger for a communal healing justice because you'll be filled. This is the journey. We serve a God who is poor with us in spirit and sent his son because God mourns for our situation. And God's anger, if you want to use the term wrath, wrath is controlled in such a way that it is a healing power that is not inflicted on others because God is Christ-like, but God takes that upon God's self to offer back to us an opportunity to step into the healing that God is. God hungers for the world to be redefined. And just like our professional athletes in the room, those who have committed their lives to pursuing a certain goal, you know, above all else, that has to be your desire. These guys can't go, oh, it's 11 o'clock at night. I really feel like a pizza. Like the, the, the reality is that like your diet, your sleeping pattern, what you do at the gym, all of that is controlled by that desire. And here is the invitation to make God's desire your desire. And you will be filled. We are only halfway through the Beatitudes. And in fact, maybe we've had our fill for today. But my hope is that you can start to hunger and desire for the world that God desires and know it's not about you sucking or it's not about you living up into a bunch of, like, commands. In fact, do you know the only command that's found in the Beatitudes? Rejoice. (laughs) Rejoice. Once you realize that God's new world has started, but strangely started through the power of a cross, you can rejoice. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, that at Calvary, where Christ was crucified, the meek have started to inherit the earth. What it is to be a people that start to get caught up in this different announcement, that a new world is underway, and that broken, problematic people like us can actually be a part of it. And that's why church must feel like, you know, a 12-step support program, more than a program for perfection for good people or just a place that we reconfirm that we suck all the time and that we have dependence issues. Instead, God longs to do through us as we own our brokenness. And that's why as we come around the table now, we start with confession. Confession is not heard as a place of, like, we suck Confession isn't like we didn't live up to the rules. Confession is we are so addicted to other idols that our main desire hasn't been your desire. It's the place where we can be honest because the curse is broken and Christ is found in those places. So confession is a place where we start to receive the kind of healing that this is who I actually am not how I present myself. And the gift it is to be with a bunch of people who also confess. 
not out of sense of can't do or must do, but God longs to do through us, and yet we're still longing for the Egypts that we've been delivered from. We still want the flesh pots that were handed out, even though they were killing us and keeping us in slavery. And so for those of us who know something of Christ's power and know we've gone back to the places that actually lock us into slavery, this table is the place where Jesus says, I have given myself for you because God longs to do through you what you can't do by yourself. And God, in God's mercy, chooses not to do without us. What a gospel. What a grace that God would choose people like us. As James put it, blessed are those who are poor in the eyes of the world because God has chosen them to be rich in faith. The only thing that qualifies you for this table is the transparency and honesty to go, I am addicted to idols, but I need Jesus. I want to long for the kingdom. Let me be found in the places Jesus shows up. Let my heart break for the things that God's heart breaks for. Let me know that power instead of suffocating my emotional responses or letting them come out in ways that damage me and damage others. Let them be transformed, Jesus, that they become a power which is harnessed to bless as you have blessed me. Let me hunger, let my desire be for God's new world. If that is you this morning, you know where to come. Come to Jesus. He doesn't give you a theory. He gives of himself. God doesn't send a message. God sends God's self as the Messiah. And your invitation this morning is to come and receive what you are by grace. Come and receive Christ that you might recognize you're called to be Christ in the world as a community, not as a pious individual or somebody stuck in cycles of shame, but as someone who's like, I'm in Jesus. If you can use them, you can use me. Jesus is the one who entered into our poverty. Jesus is the ache, the mourning of God that we might share in God's comfort. Jesus is the meek one who has taken back the earth for God. Jesus is the hunger and the thirst for God's healing justice. And Jesus wants to take up his home in you today, right now. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, let us confess what we couldn't otherwise confess unless you were a Christ-like God. Come and bring your kingdom in the places in us that we thought were cursed and you show up in those places. Lord, we want to lay bare that we have not loved you with our whole heart. And we have not loved our neighbor or the stranger or our enemies as you have loved us. But for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, show us again your mercy. Bring us under that waterfall that is your mercy. That we might know who we're being called to be 
and the power that is there for us to live into what you call us to be. We want to desire what you desire. We want to walk in your ways and delight in it. So Lord, let us, even with tear-filled eyes, come around your table now and rejoice that you take people like us and you live your love through us when we get out of the way. Lord, prepare our hearts to encounter you here that we might be your people of grace. And all God's people said, Amen. One of the ways we, every week, begin to participate uh, through grace in stepping into who we are already, people of God, children of God, recognising every person as a child of God, is coming around this table where everyone is welcome, where we are forgiven so we become forgivers, where we receive grace so that we can walk in grace. One of the reasons at Sanctuary that we do these things that see as maybe a practical way or a physical, a tangible way is it's one of the ways that we can begin to take a step into walking in the grace, not by our own strength or not because of what we have to do, but learning to live the way that God is calling us to live. And so out of that this morning, everyone's invited to come and share communion with us. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have a little, you who have been here often, you who are just come for the first time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, you who have failed in following Jesus and you who have just decided to follow Jesus today, come. Let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Leave now, if necessary, go and be a forgiver, then run back, because it is the Lord who invites us. It is God's will that those who desire Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit would encounter him here. So come. Blessed are the ones who do not bury all the broken pieces of their heart. Blessed are the tears of all the weary, pouring like a sky of falling stars. Blessed are the wounded ones in mourning, brave enough to show the Lord their scars. Blessed are the hurts that are not hidden, open to the healing touch of God. The kingdom is yours. 
Persevere, for though they fall. 